It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. The A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. The fight against tyranny just got stronger. Hey y'all! Welcome to Cross Politic on the Fight Lab Feast Network. Um, Pastor Toby Chuck Knox, I'm the Water Boy. It's good to be with you. We got we got a um, BF on uh, coming on. <laughs> BF. BF coming on. Yeah. Best know? friend. Best friend. Missionary Ben. <laughs> Coming on, yeah. We're gonna talk John Patton. <laughs> right. Is that right? If you say so. I was gonna say Payotten. Payotten. Yeah, because this is a little Scottish, a little English, a little, you know, Yaman. You know, it's a little all, all in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is your smartphone a tool in the service of Christ or yes. a minefield of distractions and temptations? Oof. With soul-killing seductions just a few taps away, our families and churches must embrace biblical accountability on our digital devices accountable to you that's the word accountable the number two the word you makes transparency easy on all your family's devices by sharing app usage and detailed browsing history including incognito mode with your spouse parent or chosen accountability partner accountable to you helps your family to proactively guard against temptation so you can live with integrity for god's glory learn more today and try it out for free at accountable to you again that's the word accountable the number two the word you.com slash flf i've been doing research on the whole alistair Begg stuff because we've been talking about it on our, yeah. on our shows and everything and i keep getting emails from accountable to you flagging because of oh, all the trans. gay marriage trans good job accountable. Yeah, they're, 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 they're on it they're, they're on, on it, it. Yeah. i'm like baby it's alistair Begg, <laughs> and she's like yeah i'm concerned <laughs> <laughs> he lets women theologically preach. i'm concerned <laughs> hey want to remind funny. you all that the christ church missions conference is coming up march 8th and 9th here yes. in moscow i Idaho. The theme this year is of whom the world was not worthy. Uh, these, there's going to be four missionary biography talks. Uh, Joe Rigney is giving mm. a talk on William Carey. Jared Longshore is giving a talk player. on Andrew Fuller. <laughs> and Pastor Doug Wilson will be giving a talk on the St. Andrew Seven. I think he's kind of being tricky there. He's getting seven. That's not fair. And, uh, yeah. he, he, that's, that's how he does it. And I'll be giving a talk. Actually, on the missionary, John G. Patton. Yeah. Um, and, Patton. <laughs> okay. Thank Patton. you. Uh, registration is free for the missions conference, but we do ask that you register so we know that there will be enough room for all yeah. the attendees. Yeah. Go to Christkirk.com. That's Christ and then K-I-R-K. Uh, that's the Scottish spelling of church, by the way. Dot com slash missions dash 2024, or you can just search Christchurch Missions 2024 and it'll come up. Is that how Patton... Used to spell it? Kirk. 
Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. That's, that's why I pointed it out, actually. I'm glad, you, glad you caught that. Yeah. This is the Scottish. This is the Scottish. I be thinking. Scottish. <laughs> is that thinking. a bit more English than Scottish? Hey, we're grateful to have with us uh, Missionary Ben, also known as B.F. Weston. Uh, he's... Um, he, he was depart. He was deported from China, my man, in 2018 after serving as a missionary for 15 years in Gansu Province. His passion is to help Christians pray more strategically for China, while also helping to mobilize a new generation of missionaries from both Latin America and the English-speaking world. He is also, um, uh, been, I think, the editor of a brand new edition of the book Borden of Yale. Okay. Borden of Yale, uh, which you can find at bordenofyale.com. Um, and uh, we'll ask him a little bit more about um, the legacy of William Borden uh, later on. Um, but the thing that the reason we have him on the show actually is he was recently, he's recently spent four days in the New Hebrides on the island of Tana. Where missionary John G. Patton went in the 1850s to preach wow. the gospel to cannibals. Wow. Ben, thanks for coming on Cross Politic. Good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. I've been, I've been there with you before, but it's good to it's good to be here in whatever method. Now, I was thinking about that because if I remember correctly, I could be wrong because the monitor's a little small. Didn't you bring a gift with you? I brought a few over the years, I've brought yes. a few different things. Yes, last they time are. cigars. Maybe. I yeah. think it was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I can taste them now. You're a good friend. Thank you, Mr. Weston. Thank you. So um, so you, you reached out, uh, Ben, when you heard uh, about the missions conference and specifically that I was going to be giving this talk on John G. Patton. And um, I, I, I just want you to start by saying, why, so explain, like, why are you so interested in this missionary? Like, why did you even go, like, you flew so the New Hebrides. Wow. Um, if you got, if y'all don't know where that is, like you have to like search no, it. I don't. Google I don't. it. I'm on it's, it. It's yeah. due east of Australia. Okay. In the South Pacific. Don't you know? It. Nope. No. Nope. No. No. Yeah, mine. No. No. Throw a little strip on the barbay. Yeah. There we go. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, like it's it's over like kind of towards like Fiji. Okay. Um, and I had to fly through Fiji to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So so Ben, why are you so interested in this missionary? Uh, to the New Hebrides, to the island of Tana, and why? I mean, I mean, so interested that you flew there and spent four days there this last fall. Well, I first read the biography myself um, while traveling by train in China about 10, 11 years ago, and I was blown away by the story and by his perseverance and by his faithfulness in the face of so much that he went through, especially on Tana. That's, that's the part of the book that really stands out, I think, to most people when they read it. Um, just all the dangers he faced, all the things that he he died, he almost dies countless times there on Tana. Um, I remember reading it and thinking, that's amazing, that's wonderful. And then I kind of went all of my life. It was encouraging to me as a missionary in China, working in a difficult place, working with not only Chinese people, but with um, Tibetan Buddhist people, with Chinese Muslims, really hard people to reach. Yeah. And so his difficulties there on Tana reminded me a little bit of what we were going through there in China for many years. So it was just an encouraging story. Um, the reason I went there this last year is I always had that in my mind, um, and I, I had it in my mind. I want to visit if I can. I didn't know if it would work. The only reason I actually made it to Tana this last fall was because I can't get back into China yet. Um, while I was in Tana, actually, my wife and kids were visiting China for the first time since 2019, 
And um, I tried to get in. I tried three different ways to get into the border, and I was turned back all three times from the Chinese border. I'm still blacklisted in some way. Mm-hmm. And so when I realized that was the case, I said, well, I got three weeks to go do something different uh, while my family's in China visiting some old friends in our old city. And so I began to make the plans. You know, I might as well go to Tana and go check it out and go visit the places where he talks about. And maybe I can eventually write something about what he, what, what I saw there, what I experienced there. And at least kind of follow in his footsteps and and just remind myself of his story and just be encouraged by his story once again, actually reading it for myself again while on the island of Tana. And so that's what I did on the end of October of last year for about four days. That's, I was there. That's, that's awesome. I, I love how you're redeeming the time. You can't get yeah, to yeah, China. Can't, so yeah, I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go uh, use this time wisely and be encouraged. This is a picture you sent us up on the on the screen of, of what, what's some other pictures? Do the island. Um, there's here. another sh- shot here of just I mean really that, 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 that's what's called Port Resolution there, the, the one with the beautiful water. That's where he built his first house, just a hundred uh, meters or so from the shore there, and that's where his first wife and child are buried. Yeah. Um, just, just a stone's throw from from that area right there. And oh, so, did he marry oh. an islander? No, no, no. He okay. married. He was in his thirties, and he married a young lady, eighteen year old, before he left for the field um, and headed over. It's what's really interesting. His biography literally has one sentence about meeting her and marrying her. It just says he married so and so, and off they went to the new Hebrides. And, um, so he doesn't go into detail about that maybe because his second wife was still alive when he wrote it all. I don't know, yeah. but he, uh, he doesn't give any detail, but she ends up dying within three or four months of them arriving on the Island. Just oh, a few, wow. a few yards from the spot where that picture was taken right there. Um, that you just saw. What's some, what's some uh, more pictures? Uh, I, I was going to, well, hold on. Okay. Just, just patience. I want to, I want to build a house on that, you know, edge right um, there. I, I was going to bring this up later, but let let you you mentioned his his first wife and child, and um and and so bring up the picture, um, Neil of uh of them gathered around the the uh, gravestone. Um, there's um, yeah, there we go. Um, wow, uh, that's still there. Um, Ben, explain. I mean, there there's there's several things that are particularly amazing about this picture. Uh, explain them. Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to start with the most basic up to the most important. The 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 man on the right there sitting down, he was my guide. I, I ran into him in the Lord's Providence. He's an elder of a Presbyterian church on the other side of the island next to the main the main town on the islands wow. on the other side. Wow. And he ended up, um, my Airbnb that I had booked, this little bungalow, happened to be his Airbnb. I had no idea he was an elder or a Presbyterian or even a Christian. And he ended up being my guide. Elder Tom is what he's called, Elder Tom. And he took me around the island um, on the next day afternoon, Sunday afternoon. He, we drove across the island, and he showed me as best, best as he could. He did not know where the grave was. He had heard about it. And he, uh, when we got across the island and, and crossed over, he asked the first person he saw that might know, and it was the guy in the white shirt in the picture, yeah. whose name is Elder Sampson. He happened to be another Presbyterian elder of another church, Let's on that go. side of the island. Let's go, wow, let's Presby's. go. Was Peyton a, Sam- a Presbyterian? There, there you go. There, Pat, Peyton was Presbyterian. So, um, but they, um, this guy ends up taking us to the grave. But before he took us to the grave, he took us to his church in a little village nearby. And as we were talking, I can't remember now how it came up in the conversation, but he basically came out and told me. He said, "My uh, great, 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 eight greats." My eighth great grandfather was the 
the warlord Miyaki, who tried to kill Peyton numerous times and was the biggest warlord of this whole part of the island. That was his eighth great grandfather, Miyaki, who Peyton writes about a lot in his biography. And um, and so I'm sitting there meeting his great 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 great, great grandson, <laughs> and he's the elder of the church wow. there on that on that, on that part of the island. If that ain't some and, uh, stuff. Oh no. So then they took us to the grave, and we got to see the grave there. Zoom, zoom and, in on uh, the grave, uh, Neil. The, yeah. the, the next shot, I think, should be the zoom in of the grave. Yeah. There you go. Peter, yeah, I don't know Robert, I've, Rob, Robson. I've got, yep, I've got it pulled up here. Let me let me read Mary what it Ann. says to the yeah to the glory of God and in memory of Mary Ann, wife of missionary John G. Payton, and their baby son Peter Robert Robson. He died just two weeks oh, after. Man. Um, the mother passed away of she had evidently malaria even while she was pregnant and giving birth and so she died of complications from from birth and malaria they were buried there march of 1859 um, and then below it it says there that john payton later wrote of the experience the ever merciful lord sustained me to lay the precious dust of my beloved ones in the same quiet grave Whensoever Tana turns to the Lord and is one for Christ, men in after days will find the memory of this spot still green, where with ceaseless prayers and tears I claim this land for God, Beautiful. in which I have buried my dead with faith and hope. Beautiful. Um, so an amazing testimony. He wrote that in his autobiography. And if you look at the picture, you can see he wasn't wrong. There's still it's a it's a fruitful area, a lot of lot of grass and trees all around there, but you know, he was he was giving a, a metaphor of, if you will, but but it's true. Um, the 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 gospel has taken root on the island, and there are Presbyterian, uh, mostly Presbyterian. There's other churches too, but the the largest church on the island is Presbyterian. They've got meeting points in almost every village of the island. Churches all over the place, what, and they're continuing to reach out to their people there to is, this day. What is the culture there in the in the? Because I'm looking at this on the map. Man, this place is so tiny. There's not even a landmass on the map when I zoom in all the way. And so it's, it's well, so, you know. If you zoom into Tana, if you zoom into the island of Tana, it is really small. It's only probably 50 square miles. I forget how many square miles it is. But there, it's crowded. There are 30-something thousand people living on that little island. Hmm. And they speak, to this day, they speak dozens of tribal languages. Not just one, but dozens of tribal languages, every tribe. And in, in Peyton's day, that's what caused so much of the warfare and bloodshed is all the tribes were constantly fighting with each other and he got caught in the middle of it all and he they were trying to kill him and and just it was just crazy and to this day the tribes are still there but now they're mostly christian and um they do have a national language now that everyone speaks which is called bislama b-i-s-l-a-m-a and it's kind of a pidgin english it's got a little bit of french a little bit of english and a lot of the native grammar and so i got to hear them sing and worship and and speak in that language when i was there it's not too difficult um, really, but they also speak English. Most people speak English there as well, at least hmm. some English. And that, so I can get because by. of John. John was that because of John's influence on the island? How did English kind of no, get there? It's Australian, probably. The, the, it's proximity relatively okay. to Australia and New Zealand. Um, and actually, John was only there for four years. He left and never really went back. Uh, his son ended up living there for decades and ministered there. Other missionaries came later. He opened the door in one sense. But um, other people really are the ones that reap the harvest over the, the generations that follow. And so. If you're a fan of Cross Politic or the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, then um, surely you know 
uh, that we have a merch store, right? Rowdy Christian Merch is your one-stop shop for everything cross-politic merchandise. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, but we've also got specialty items like backpacks, mugs, coffee, even AirPod cases. Visit Rowdy Christian Merch at RowdyChristian.com. Go to RowdyChristian.com and buy that next gift. Remember, Valentine's Day is coming up. Nothing says love. Nothing says I love you like a little Rowdy Christian merch. Again, that's RowdyChristian.com. I just got to ask, what are some of the things that you walk away with having, you know, you're a missionary, you've traveled around, and you're seeing this man's fruitfulness um, from opening the door. What are some of the things you're taking away from this that would really probably be uplifting to some of the things, some of the battles that we have going over here in America? Man, I don't know about America. I, I, I do know this. The, the church there is concerned about the influence, the bad influence by the Presbyterian churches, the mainline denominations from <laughs> Australia, New Zealand, and America. Oh. They've, actually, they've actually cut ties with those churches in many cases, um, even cutting off funds that were coming to them in order to be faithful and, and to oh. um, be faithful on marriage. That was one of the issues they talked about. They actually wanted to know my opinion. They wanted to make sure I was legit. They didn't know, they didn't know who I was when yeah. I first came. So um, they that was one of their big concerns. And so I think there's an opportunity there um, among those churches for a faithful church like, um, like the CRAC maybe to make a connection with them in the future and have some partnership with a church like theirs that wants to be faithful, that's being kind of attacked in one sense from all sides, or being bribed, you could say they're offering them, you know, money and support and mission support um, if they would um, affiliate with these other international denominations. So that's that's one thing that that was that I I was impressed by really by them and talking with them is is their faithfulness in that in that sense. Uh, the se- the second thing isn't really related to the U.S., but I was encouraged personally by seeing the fruit of Peyton's, John Patton Peyton's efforts over those years, because I still work and have teammates working in an area of Northwest China that is um, much, very devoid of the gospel. It's still very much a, a field ripened to harvest. Very little has ever been done in many of the areas where we worked in Western China. Um, no churches, no Christians to speak of in many cases for hundreds of miles. And so I'm, I'm still, we're still in a sense in China, in some places, in the same generation of work as Peyton was 160 years ago. And so I, I want to be faithful like he was, and I want to help others to be to persevere like he did so that we can see in another few generations the fruit there that he has seen and that has come about in um, in the New Hebrides. You know, I, I also just want to point out, like this goes back to the um, that gravestone. Yeah. Like um, God, God blessed this man. Mm-hmm. He 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 poured himself out at, and literally, you know, buried his wife and and mm-hmm. and um uh and was it a daughter son son, son, son Peter Peter um buried them there and but did so in faith yeah that um that not one drop of blood not one mm-hmm. drop of sweat not one life goes unnoticed by mm-hmm. by God. And in the middle of the ocean, and, yeah, and, on a random and island, nowhere, out in the middle of nowhere, nowhere. Yep, and, and, said, right. and said, in the latter right. years, when this island turns to God, this, this, they, they're gonna, they'll see That's this, beautiful. and they'll remember the faithfulness of God. It's beautiful, and I, and I think, like, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I mean, I hear Ben loud and clear. Like, I mean, this, I mean, obviously, applies to these places where the gospel has not penetrated at all. Applies to places like China. Applies to these, you know, North Korea, whatever. 
Um, I also want to turn it back around and say, but that also applies to America. Mm-hmm. That right. also applies to America, where where you might be tempted to think, you know, well, yeah, God sometimes do, does that in extraordinary ways with cannibals. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we 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 live, you know, we we are fast becoming uh, warring tribes of cannibals mm-hmm. in this country. Um, and the same gospel, the same love of Christ, the same Holy Spirit works um, powerfully where people trust him and lay their lives down for him and serve him faithfully. Uh, just don't don't forget that. That's right. Amen. Ben, is um, uh, uh, Tana still uh, very tribal? Um, it seems like there's uh, just I'm just been scrolling through pictures on Google Pictures. It's, it seems like it's still kind of it, it seems that way to me. Obviously, there's there's definitely a resort there or stuff like that. But you know, what's kind of the condition of of Tana? Yeah, it's still. I wouldn't call it third world. It's it's definitely developing. It's it's very tribal. That people still live. My first night there. Let me give you an example. Is I, I got invited by Elder Tom to his sister in law's uh, house um, out in the village to have some supper, and they were surprised that I would eat their food and stuff because. But I said, hey, I've lived in Peru. We've been all over the place. I'll eat whatever. But we sat out under the stars in the grass, no campfire even lit because it wasn't cold. It was warm. It was like in the 70s. And everyone's sitting in the dark eating their dinner um, under the stars. And that's their living room. They don't really, the houses are really small and the beds and everything's really cramped. And when they want to hang out and just hang out together, they're sitting out in the grass or they're sitting in hammocks or they're sitting up on stools outside, whatever it is. So we sat under the stars and they kept uh, saying, do you need a light? They kept trying to turn on like a flashlight for me so I could see. I said, no, my eyes will adjust. And, we'll, and we talked. And and so, and after church, you know, we sit under, there's a big tree next to the church there that everyone kind of sits under and talks. And we had some dinner sitting outside. So it is very tribal in many ways. Um, I mean, there's a little tiny airport on the island. You can fly there from the, the capital city of Vanuatu. It's called Port Villa, which is more of an actual city and has more resorts and hotels and stuff. Um, but there are two or three flights a week to the island, and there are tourists that go there as well to see the tribal stuff and also to see the volcano. There's a little volcano on the island um, as well. It spews out dust and smoke most of the time, mm-hmm. so a lot of people want to go get close and see the volcano that's wow. there. So there, it, it's a little bit of both. What's the economy that's there? What kind of economy do they have? Tourism. I mean, the, the main uh, economy that's making money is the tourism and then local just subsistence kind of farming and stuff like that. That's pretty much it. You know, local subsistence farming, a few little restaurants and little towns, and then a lot of tourism, a lot of a lot of bungalows and Airbnbs and people trying to make a little bit of money. Um, tree, there's these treehouse tree house Airbnbs people can stay in. I don't think it's their traditional kind of right. homes, but it's made. It's like a tourist trap kind of thing where they want tourists to come and stay in a tree and they can see the volcano from the top of a tree or something. So I didn't stay in one, kind of, but but I I read, I read about him when I was there. Kind of kind of like uh, John G. Patton when he was uh, treed hiding from cannibals. There you go. That, that's the quote. That's amazing quote. Yeah. Um. Um. I, I want to ask you, Ben. Um. One of the other striking things about the story, um, in 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 uh, Peyton's autobiography is, um, how significant his upbringing, his family life, and particularly his relationship with his father was. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and just, I mean, maybe just uh, um, connect that with um, his life. I mean, wh- wh- um, how, how do you, how do you, and when you read that story and you think about missionary work, you think about the need for the gospel to go to the nations. Um, how does his, his childhood and his family life and his fa- his relationship to his dad in particular, how do you connect those dots? 
Well, I think he wrote that his parents, you know, prayed that their sons would be missionaries. And so he was the fruit of their prayers in many ways. I always like to say the same thing about my own family. My grandmother on both sides of the family were praying women of God. And, and so I, I feel like they probably at some point prayed that their grandsons would go to China or wherever. And that's what God uh, did in my life as well. So and then his relationship, I mean, he saw the reality of his parents' faith and he his dad uh, sent him off in a beautiful way. I don't have the quote before me. It's a long quote, actually. You need to read the book to to kind of get a get a grasp of it. But um, but he was sent off. You know, initially, some people mistake it wasn't he wasn't being sent off straight to the New Hebrides from home. He actually went just to Glasgow, which was a long walk from where he grew up. And uh, but he spent ten years doing ministry in the city in his own home country before he ever volunteered to go overseas. So um, he was sent by a faithful family. He was faithful in the city, in his own nation. And then God called him out along with another young man to go. And then eventually his young wife to go across the world to be faithful there in a difficult place. And he did not want to um, leave Tana even after his family had died there um, next to him. He didn't want to leave until he had fulfilled what God had sent him there to do. So this is probably like, you got to come to the missionary, uh, our missions conference yeah. kind of question yeah. here. Yeah. Um, kind of a twofold question. One is, why was Tana be, be an island that he chose to go to? Uh, and the other is, how do you as a missionary go to an island where they're eating people and you don't know your own language, their language? Um, how, do, how do you connect and how does, you know, eight generations later, the tribal leader is his grand, great-grandson is an elder? And, and answer that uh, question in 50 seconds. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, in, in one way, you can't answer it. it. It's God's working and supernaturally through all those things. Um, and, and it's just impossible in one sense. He chose Tana because, literally because, years before, two other missionaries had gone there and landed on shore. And before they could even come ashore, they were killed and cooked and eaten on the shore. And so because it was the hardest place they could possibly find, that's why he chose to go there. That's oh, the simple answer of that question. Um, and Great idea! I know. <laughs> Last time people came here, they ate them. That's the spot. Yeah. So if I made a successful mission, if I get off the boat, <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, listen. Let me, let me read. I know you don't have time. Let me read one thing real quick that he wrote whenever he first got there. He says, "We were afterwards informed that five or six men they're they're building their first house had been shot dead. Their bodies had been carried by the conquerors from the field of battle and cooked and eaten that very night by the savages at a boiling spring near the head of the bay." the same bay you saw in the picture, less than a mile from the spot where my first house was being built. He wrote that um, about his first week or so on the island. So they, he was never more than uh, an arrow's throw or an arrow's shot or a stone's throw away from being killed his whole four years on the islands. He really wasn't. And that's what the book talks about is just constantly facing those dangers over and over again. But he did it trusting his life to the Lord and trusting that God will bring fruit from it. I, I can't help but think of, you know, the, the story of, of Jonathan and his armor bearer, um, you know, when, you know, when he, he's like, you know, hey, we got some free time. Hey, there's some Philistines. It, God can deliver with many or few. You, you with me? And the armor bearer is like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. And him and his armor bearer are like, hey, there's a, there's a Philistine garrison. Um, let's go see if God will give it to us. That, that that's courage. And, and I think that's the same thing that you see in this story is he says, they've been, they've been killing and eating missionaries and faith. Yeah. And, um, they need Jesus and God can give it to us. Mm. God can give it to us. 
and I, and again, I just want to say, like, I, I think there's this is a, absolutely a call to to people to actually consider like missionary work, evangelistic work, pastoral ministry. But even beyond all that, it's a call to particularly to men to be courageous, mm-hmm. to, to to be bold, and and to and to think in terms of what I mean. My my father runs this place. That's right. My my God runs this place. Uh, the the hearts of kings he turns like rivers of water. Yeah. Um, he he is able to save with few or many, and and I think stories like this need to give um, Christian men a lot more boldness about yeah. getting married, staying married, mm-hmm. loving your wife, being faithful to your wife, working hard, Baptizing raising kids. your children. Yeah. yeah, you baptize them um, and raise them in the Lord. Um, build businesses, build schools, build churches, build legacies, and trust in God. Like pour it out, lay it out, and trust that God's going to give you your city. Like he he trusted yeah. God for an island. Yeah, uh, that's 50, 50 square miles. Yeah. You know why not you why don't you trust God for your city? Why don't you trust God that's for right. your county, for Amen. your state, for this nation, um, or wherever God um, might might call you. Can you can you tell me before you go? I I, I do want to hit this part. I want to talk about was it your book, um, William Yale? Can you t- just um, briefly kind of give me? Gordon, Gordon McGill is the classic missionary biography. The, the author, the original author is actually Hudson Taylor's niece, I think. Yeah. She was like the official biographer of the um, the the China Inland Mission back in the early 1900s. Yeah. And so, and he had connections with them as well. He was going to China to work with the China Inland Mission, um, but he didn't make it. John uh, William Borden, I'm sorry, died at the age of 25 in Egypt of cerebral meningitis Hmm. and um, never made it to the field that he wanted to go to. My connection with William Borden um, is that the the same exact city, not just the same country, but the same city that God called me to um, 21 years ago, 2003 in Northwest China, is the same Muslim Chinese city that William Borden wanted to go to and never made it. He died on his way there. Wow. And I didn't know his story until years later, after I'd already lived there for many years. My son was born in that city, and we had worked there. I, I speak the dialect of that city somewhat. And um, I found out about his story later and, and was surprised to see, like, literally, he was on his way here to my city hmm. um, 90-something years before. And, um, and so I got interested in his story, and it's an amazing biography um, William Borden was on his way to becoming something like a John G. Payton, but for Northwest China. That's the kind of man he was. Um, his, his biography tells his upbringing and his faithfulness at Yale. It's called Borden of Yale because he was a four-year student at Yale, um, and then he went to Princeton Seminary and remained faithful to the gospel, even through going through some, er- some of the early bad theology that was coming through those places already 100 years ago. But he came out with a passion for the lost and a passion for souls and a passion for God and and he died um, une- unexplainedly, you know, to men. He dies in Egypt, and his his legacy kind of ends, or his his testimony ends there. But his legacy has gone on, and many many people have been called to missions through reading his story. Um, and so, and I I'm connected directly with the place he wanted to go to. So I'm I'm looking at his story, and um, from the perspective of China, Northwest China, that area is still very much unreached, um, almost almost as unreached as it was ninety something years ago when he was on his way there. And never made it. So go to Borden of Yale. That's B O R D E N of Yale.com and get the new knit the new edition. Yeah. Learn the story and uh, support missionary Ben. Yes. And be encouraged. Yes. Brother, thank you for what you do. Appreciate you very much. Thanks. 
Thank you for joining if, if us. You can, I, don't, I don't know if you guys are planning on any kind of overtime, but if you take me in there, I can tell some more secrets about China, uh, if, as long as it's on overtime and it's behind the paywall. Oh, let's, let's do that for If a you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids, you have kids, go baptize them. Until next time, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. We'll see you in, in the, the backstage. Backstage, super secret stories <laughs> about China. I'm in. Absolutely. Mom always told me to be a good boy, but the world said I could be anything I wanted to be, which is great, because I want to be a problem. No, I won't dive into sex, drugs, or gender confusion. To the world, that would make me a good little boy. I will learn formal logic and adhere firmly to the concept of objective truth. I will commit myself absolutely to the authority of the Word of God and make friends with Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Chesterton, Lewis, and the U.S. Constitution. I hope to grow up and love only one woman, a woman at least as clear-thinking and rebellious in this world as I will be, who knows where true beauty lies and who will never let me stop striving to be the biggest problem I can be. I will give my life for hers and aim to have a family large enough to require specialty automobiles. We will worship in a church unashamed of the gospel and live in a community of families doing the same. I will work myself to the bone providing for my family and I will make sure my kids all fall in love with Narnia and Middle Earth, that they will all know how to think, that evolution will make them giggle, and rainbows will make them think of Noah and his archiarchy. Like I said, I will be a problem, immune to all that is hip and trendy and now. Singing songs that are centuries old, savoring good wine and great whiskey, dancing and laughing and feasting while the enemies of God scowl and glower in shelter in place. Hey little boy, the world says, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a metastasizing cancer of conservative Christian culture, devouring Marx's impotent progressive dream and building a resurrected western world. I want to be a stomper of stupid sandcastles, an exposer of poisonous lies, I want my life to be a monument to the triune creator God who made us all. The kind of monument you and yours will never be able to tear down. Oh, and farming. Thanks for asking. New St. Andrews College. Liberal Arts for Outlaws. There you go.